and welcome to the 2020 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Amanato, and this is Round 1, the Austrian Grand Prix. Formula One hasn't raced in more than 200 days, but absence has done little to slow Mercedes down. Poleman Valtteri Bottas was stunningly quick at the Red Bull ring, where only a dodgy gearbox threatened to ruin his afternoon. Bullets flew, but Bottas clung to the lead in a race that featured plenty of passing, clever and clumsy driving in equal measure, unpredictable unreliability, and a battle for the podium that lasted until the very last lap. To talk us through how the strategic podium battle unfolded in the long-awaited opening race of 2020, I'm joined by GP Racing Magazine Executive Editor Stuart Codling. Stuart, how are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. I'd love to be an executive director, although that sounds kind of like one of those made-up job titles you give to people <laughs> who don't actually do much. The, 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 the person in the office that um, tends to, when the roving finger of, of removal happens and, and the boss says, what does he do? <laughs> as long as Emeritus doesn't appear in your title at any point, then I think it'll be okay. Well, as I, I, I love that thing about Bernie, of course, being the, uh, the, the what was he, the President Emeritus. Mm. And, uh, you know, as, as an Australian, you, you'd be well aware of perhaps Rupert Murdoch's mm. famous deployment of, of Emeritus when he fired Harold Evans as, as, as editor of the Sunday Times over the Hitler Diaries fiasco. He said, you might, uh, sorry, I, I shouldn't be doing an Australian accent, but I will. <laughs> you might, you're going to be editor Emeritus. That's... E for X and Meritus because you effing well deserve it. <laughs> that was. Uh, I'll give you seven and a half points for the accent. That's, that's quite that's, good. Uh, that's my my colleagues say that my, my only effective impression is one of Alan Bennett, and that's because I'm a Yorkshireman as well. <laughs> well, you got to play to your strengths. I think that's the important thing. Playing to their strength is something we've got to try and get this on track. It's something Mercedes <laughs> certainly did this weekend. We're going to go through the race blow by blow in a moment, but I want to talk, of course, about the context in which this Grand Prix took place, which is the first post-COVID race, the first in this post-COVID era. There's a, there's a lot of speculation and talk about what that might mean for the spectacle and the competitors. Uh, I think the, the, the number one, I suppose, takeaway, and this was born out at least some amount uh, in the race, was that... I feel like this is the most unknown Formula One's gone into a Grand Prix because it's been so long since testing. Plus the fact so many teams brought so many upgrades that obviously had no time to run until this weekend. Is this the least prepared Formula One's ever been, the teams have ever been going into a race weekend? Well, I think so because obviously, you know, it's it's been a long time since they've actually been in action properly you know the the pit crews all doing their stuff them actually having to assemble cars for um a race weekend so th- there's that there's having to do all that while taking social distancing measures or not as <laughs> is uh, you know we, we we did see some pictures of people socializing perhaps inappropriately which is bound to happen and you know we, we're used to seeing at season openers usually in melbourne the odd car retiring through a mechanical problem the occasional you know drivers hitting one another because they haven't raced a car properly in action for for, for a few months um but there, there was a unprecedented amount of breakage uh un- unforeseen mechanical woe and um the, the occasional bit of drive, drives hitting one another. Also, a lot of word salad. Um, I've, <laughs> I, I took note of because um, we you know for the past few months the, the the major practitioner globally of word salad has been Donald Trump. So we, we were pleased to welcome back Christian Horner as <laughs> as a as a word salad provider. Uh, he said that the issue on 
um, Max Verstappen's car, which we'll, we'll come on to in a sec, was not something we haven't seen previously. And um, illuminating. Yeah, no, so if you know, please, please add a few hundred more watts onto that light bulb, please, because I'm not sure what on earth you're talking about. Does that mean you have or you haven't? Let's see. I think George Orwell said that the not un uh, form, formation of words should be banished from the English language because it just means people whopped. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it, it was a difficult weekend for everybody, I suppose, even, uh, I guess, even those uh, adjusting to having to answer questions. Rustiness, I think, played more of a role, ironically enough, as you sort of touched on there, uh, with the cars than the drivers. Not literal rust on the cars, at least as far as we know. Although, who knows what was going on in that Mercedes gearbox, I suppose. <laughs> Do you expect that there's a lot of... that there will be a great deal of difference in terms of the way the weekend was executed in these senses between the weekend just gone and, and the next Austrian Grand Prix? Is, was this really just going to end up being a dress rehearsal for a, a return to ordinary broadcasting next weekend? I don't know. I, mean, I know that FOM had a few issues with, with some of their programming they were trying to achieve in in terms of you know the 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 will buxton twitter show and all that sort of thing um i'll I'll stop pronouncing my t's as d's Uh, there's a lot of dossers in broadcasting um but uh i I think in terms of the operation of the teams it's something they'll get used to they'll uh if if i may use that other dread word learnings they'll uh, (laughs) they'll take learnings uh, from from what's happened and and, and so I, I think things things might pan out a little bit differently uh next week but this 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 was as you say a, a race full of unknowns and you know my my notebook and, and my whatsapp message history is crammed full of of, of amendments because i was scribbling away and you know we we fully expected at the beginning of this race, that it was all going to be about what would happen with with Verstappen having managed to get through Q2 on the medium tyre. So there was an offset strategy there. And then what would happen with the people sort of uh, out the outside, the top 10, the the Ricardos, the the Vettels, who were starting on mediums, what would happen uh, with them? Uh, And and then, of course, quite early in the race, we we said bye-bye to Verstappen and Lance Stroll started to drive slowly, so there was a little bit of well, that's that's typical, isn't it? Then <laughs> then we learned that he had an engine uh, engine woe. Uh, so so all of those things seem to conspire to to make the strategic picture look a little bit less interesting than it had perhaps promised to be. And and I sent a um, I, I sent a message to to our Autosports Grand Prix editor Alex Kalanorkas saying, well, I suppose after this safety car restart, it's just maybe going to be an attritional grind to the end. And, um, well, I nearly ate my phone as the uh, race <laughs> progressed because it, it turned very unpredictable. And the the strategic picture got, got kind of quite interesting, didn't it, in terms of the the whole the thing with Austria is it's a short lap. There aren't many straights. It's, in theory, difficult to overtake on. So you'd think that track position is king and that the people who didn't avail themselves of, of, a, of, a, of a bonus pit stop in that sort of second round of safety cars would have profited by being able to maintain track position. But that then didn't pan out because we saw the people who, who changed tyres in, in that final round of safety cars uh, able to make their way through. So so that was that was actually quite interesting. It was a race that very much sort of wasn't what it seemed for so much of the Sunday afternoon we spent watching these cars. And I think perhaps for no team was that more true than Mercedes because 
because the lead up to the Grand Prix was absolutely about how far ahead they were. Obviously, in qualifying, the margin was enormous, half a second, more than half a second, really, uh, between pole sitter Valtteri Bottas and Max Verstappen in third, even though he got to start second, of course. In the race, I mean, probably that would have been the case, except for the fact that they had gearbox problems really straight from the off from the first lap or really i think valtteri bottas had signs of gearbox problems even in in practice is it fair to say though that from what we've gleaned from this first weekend i suppose we'll probably learn a bit more this weekend if things are a bit more neutral that mercedes has taken a, a step ahead greater than that that anyone else including red bull racing has taken is this just a blip on the the mercedes train towards another championship i think it might be there there's obviously you know a lot of armchair experts on social media and and, and whatever speculating that the new black paint job would be a problem for cooling because of course you know <laughs> black black paint makes your car hot in when the sun shines so it's it's logical but they obviously wouldn't have done it if if they didn't think that they could manage any cooling issues and then of course you have you have the influence of of das das as the germans <laughs> no doubt call it um well once again though for, formula one's a scientific business and there's no there's no one bit you can stick on a car to find two or three or four tenths of a second it's 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 attacking every little detail of, of the car from front to back so I, I dare say that even if uh red bull had been successful with their protest of das das um it, it, it wouldn't have pegged mercedes back that much i think they've just managed to evolve their car iteratively uh, again and w- w- when you have uh a car that you understand and which is dominant and you have ideas um, that, that you of, of an upgrade path that you can take it down. Um, it's just a question of, of proving and, and finding a way along there. And they, they seem to have done that. And you compare and contrast with some of their rivals, Ferrari in particular, that seem to have taken a, a step back. But no doubt that's that's also on your list of things to talk about. Oh, absolutely. I, we could do a whole podcast on Ferrari's <laughs> weekend, I think, in Austria. And maybe one day we will. It's the spin-off everyone really wants. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about, as we go, some of the other teams and standout performances, what we might have learned given this is the first race. But I do want to start with Valtteri Bottas, who had... Uh, Probably one of his better weekends, I think, to say, in his Mercedes career. This was a fairly complete weekend, considering he scored pole, led every lap. Uh, and you wouldn't have thought, I guess, on the surface, knowing the way Mercedes typically performs, that this was quite a stressful Grand Prix for him. Because I feel like the thread of this race was that there were several drivers who really should have been able to dethrone him, given the problems he was facing with his gearbox that caused him to slow, not use the curbs, but sort of perfectly managed all of the, the variables. And let's start with Lewis Hamilton in this regard, because he should have started second. Didn't start second, of course, had a penalty applied only an, an hour or half an hour before the race, uh, thanks to an appeal from Red Bull Racing. So it was one wheel for, win for Red Bull Racing this weekend. How much was, was I suppose, the fact that Hamilton didn't win this and Bottas did down to that? Hamilton had a bit of a, a, bit of a scrappy weekend, considering that penalty from qualifying. Of course, there was subsequently a penalty with an Alex Albon clash, which we'll talk a little bit about uh, a little bit later as well. Was Hamilton the first aspect missing that enabled Bottas to control this race? Undoubtedly, I think scrappy really is the word to describe Lewis's weekend. I mean, for the for the most part, once once he was actually racing, I, I think he didn't have too bad a race in terms of what he did. You know, he 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 did most stuff right in the race, but certainly in qualifying, he wasn't quite on song. So obviously, when it came to Q three, 
Bottas set the the fastest time in in the first runs, and then uh, when, when they came to do their second runs, there was a little bit of of bunching going on. So I, I'm sure tire temperatures dropped a little bit because for for whatever reason. It could be the toe, I suppose. If I'm, I'm, I'm doing a Murray Walker style um, digression here, but you, you wouldn't think that Austria was a place where the toe was that powerful because there aren't that many straights. And yet, we saw drivers after qualifying talking about the slipstreaming effect. And we then, in, in our virtual press conferences with with certain team personnel, raised that issue. And Toto Wolf said that the get, getting a good toe, depending on which way the wind was blowing, could be worth a tenth of a second could be worth three tenths of a second and and dave robson from williams said that the the toe was unexpectedly uh powerful this weekend so for, for whatever reason maybe just the the aero package the way it's done uh these days to sort of try and reduce the um outwash effect could be could be a, a factor of that who knows but assuming that that is why everyone was sort of sitting behind one another and, and, and not wanting to uh pass on, on their outlap there was there was a lot of bunching i, th- I think tire temperatures weren't really on song for for the second of, of of the flying laps so we saw bottas go off through that turn four or five and then lewis you know best driver in the world undoubtedly but even when you're the best driver in the world and you commit yourself to a corner and you see a huge cloud of dust uh, an element of doubt creeps into your mind and he didn't do the job on that particular lap um, I, I dare say that if he had uh, set the car on pole they would probably have taken it off him straight away because there were yellow flags displayed uh, on that lap so all in all, not not a hundred percent qualifying performance from Lewis, and then obviously, as, as you say, with 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 the Red Bull protest, that put him down uh, three places on the grid. So he had more work to do. Uh, even so, he was still in a position to win that race if if he'd got his way uh, with the, the the strategy calls he was trying to make. He was trying to persuade Mercedes to make on the radio during the race. I, I think I'm, I'm erring in terms of the the shunt with Alex Albon in the race. I'm erring towards him being if not blameless certainly unfairly blamed in, in that you know he he was on full lock and there was a fair bit of room and and it seemed a little bit more towards 50 50 uh from my point of view than maybe the stewards saw it but obviously they have more angles so so there you go it will be interesting to see how that incident might be reflected on later in this season depending on how many races we get losing well 13 points cumulatively i think it is to Valtteri Bottas would have lost some anyway i guess if Bottas had won the race could be very costly we don't know i guess it depends on how many races we end up getting you touched on there that even though lewis started further back he did eventually end up second on the road once Valtteri, uh, once max verstappen had retired and we'll talk about him momentarily and there was this I was reminded of Silverstone last year, actually, where there was this moment where I guess Hamilton realised that you know, passing the same kind of car on a, a track like this is kind of difficult. And it was all about strategy for him and formulating his own strategy, his own way to get past. Uh, running longer, essentially a, an overcut to get past Valtteri Bottas. It feels like that could be one of the the tools in his toolkit, if you like, if this is going to be a more even fight between the pair. Hamilton's tyre usage has always been very strong. Potentially that was uh, the moment the race could have turned had the safety car not intervened and, and annulled that strategy. It, do you feel like that's that's something that Hamilton probably would have been able to pull off in this race? I think he might have done. I, I think, you know, he, he's shown in the past that he 
can do it. And it was obviously at the forefront of his mind that he, he thought he could do it and he wanted to do it. And, and the team uh, ultimately said no. And, and Toto did explain that in his uh, virtual uh, media session after the race where um, he, he said that when, when you're leading a, a Grand Prix, you're naturally more risk averse than if you're chasing a result, you know, if you're third or fourth and, and you're trying to apply pressure to the leaders, you can maybe factor a few more risks in. You, you, can, you can take a risk. You can perhaps take a punt if you have the, the appetite for it. But to, to bring a car into the pits brings with it risk. Uh, any pit stop there is the risk that something could go wrong you, you only have to look at the uh, cross-threaded uh, wheel nut on, on the Alfa Romeo that sent Kimi Raikkonen out late on so for all those reasons they elected not to um, accede to uh, Lewis's re- requests to, to, to make the pit stop and, and they maintained the status quo because I think if, if you're naturally quite risk averse and you're looking at a potential problem afflicting both cars the last thing you want to do is to add risk into the mix you want to you want to de-risk the situation so so i can fully understand why they didn't do any additional pit stops particularly given as you said the cars in this race ended up being quite vulnerable uh in fact mercedes was doubtful although i feel like they're always doubtful whenever there's a problem with their car that the car will make it to an end it's always zero or a hundred with mercedes car problems and this was a problem that toto wolf described as potentially an instant kill which is just great language i think i just enjoyed that as a quote uh but i suppose in a run-on kind of way all that thinking went into the most vulnerable either car was in this race which was late in the grand prix to alex albon because albon took advantage of the fact uh under the second safety car that mercedes didn't want to pit they chose not to pit Uh, And Albon did, gave him a huge tyre advantage. And I suppose that's a moment where, and maybe this reflects on this being the first race back, everyone's still trying to find a a little bit of a groove, where conservatism could really have cost Mercedes enormously in this race. Yeah, now Red Bull uh, are a team that have form in being not risk averse. You know, they're they're perfectly happy to, um, you know, put a, few, a hefty number of chips on on a particular number on the the green bays of uh, the, the F1 strategic board and and they've profited from that a number of times Chinese Grand Prix a few years ago if memory serves um absolutely brilliant strategic call obviously it's it's very easy to look at a successful strategic gamble and and say it was genius after the fact when it's been successful but when when it's when it's unsuccessful um it's uh, it, it looks it looks less clever in hindsight and the the mclaren chief strategist um says that you know you 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 have to decide on the quality of your decision based on the knowledge that was available to you at the time, not um, based on, on on your knowledge of the result, because the, you, you make your, you have to make your decision based, based on the data in, in, in front of you. And obviously at, at that time, Red Bull felt that sticking a, a used C4 tire uh, on, on that car was the, was the right thing to do. Um, they, the, the, of, of the should we describe them as the the lap 51 club that uh, <laughs> stopped on, on on lap 51 they obviously they they only had a used c4 available to them you look at uh, Raikkonen had a new c4 um Kvyat uh, Latifi Vettel 
uh, Giovinazzi all put on new, all had new C4s available to them. Uh, and of course, um, Leclerc and, and Norris put on new C3s. So, and, and both of those profited from, from, from that move. So I, I think you know, Christian Horner, if memory serves, suggested that Albon could have won the race. Mm. I'd, I'd say that's possible. Very, very. Often, I, I do. I often take what Christian Horner says with a pinch of salt because he knows what he's saying and he knows that he'll be quoted and he knows the power of his words. So, um, and and he was particularly annoyed at, at Lewis Hamilton and, and the late race incident that, that cost uh, Albon a, a, po- a certain podium position. Uh, and and so he was stirring the pot a little bit. But the, there's there's no doubt that at, at that stage in the race, with 20 laps to go 20 laps on a used soft tire is actually quite a big call in itself even with a car that's now much lighter than it was when it started the race and um we saw people able to go to lap 26 on on the used c4s before so you know it it was possible but he he wouldn't have been doing every lap a qualifying lap till the end. That's absolutely right. It would have been interesting to see how it had panned out, at at least to see as well a battle for the lead. We were treated to that uh, this time last year at the Austrian Grand Prix and to see how, well, we know how Lewis Hamilton defended, I suppose, to see how Valtteri Bottas defended with what was a marginally at least worse uh, car problem that he was nursing. Uh, I mean, it would have been interesting to see how that panned out and I suppose that, uh, in some respects, also played into the Mercedes decision, a conservative decision, the idea that, as we sort of mentioned earlier, ordinarily track position is king. And that was certainly thinking for other teams uh, at that lap 51 benchmark, that safety car uh, that was deployed around that time that turned this into a, a two-stop race. Uh, an interesting dichotomy where Lewis Hamilton ultimately couldn't secure second place and Alex Albon likewise couldn't secure second place. Max Verstappen was already out of the picture in battling for that. We then suddenly had... Uh, a combination of different drivers from different teams, Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, and Sergio Perez, competing for this position. And it did come down to who had decided to stop under lap 51. Two different strategies at play here. Norris was on the conventional switch to the hard tyre after the first stop, but Sergio Perez and Racing Point were more ambitious switching to the medium at that first stop, but still didn't come off it uh, at the opportunity to stop a second time. First of all, I guess it's kind of... I don't want to say predictable because it was still an ambitious, the only driver to switch to the medium in the middle stint, but that's certainly one of Sergio Perez's strengths. And in a car that looks very quick now, this so-called pink Mercedes, it's a strategy that looked like it just about could have been pulled off. I think I think it could have done. It, it, it was that sort of, it was the, the second batch of safety car periods that really killed that strategy off, I think. And I suppose at that point, I, it depends on what, what tyres they, they had left available to them to, to potentially put on the car um that that's the time when you think uh, what what are we going to do and, and what are our rivals doing and they opted not to join the the lap 51 club mm-hmm. um uh the, the, there was only one member of the lap 52 club and that was carlos Sainz. so and, and he also passed perez in the final analysis so you you, you look at those people who who changed at the first um safety car period that was absolutely the right thing to do there's nothing wrong the people who went onto the hard tie with a view to um running to the end perfectly sensible you you wouldn't argue with that at the time it it was just the 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 question then of of what happens next and i think some some of those teams maybe all of a sudden 
became a little bit risk averse. It was quite weird to me that Racing Point took a little bit of a gamble by putting Perez on the mediums uh, at, at that first stop and, and then decided when given the opportunity to stop again, that maybe it wasn't such a good idea. And they obviously thought, well, track position is, is king here. So uh, I, I think a lot of people taken uh, by surprise by that. Renault as well. Uh, I asked Ocon um, after the race whether he felt that it was the right thing to do to stay out. And he said, well, yeah, when I, when I went onto the hard tyres, it was the right thing to do. We'll look back at um, the, the, the second set of safety uh, car periods and ask whether we did the right thing maybe we didn't but um that's that's hindsight and you know you 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 make the decision based on the data you have at the time and sometimes even though the strategic choices do converge towards the end of a race a safety car period just adds a whole lot more unknowns that the fact that we had one straight after the other is, is is a is a classic unexpected scenario as a bit of an aside in terms of racing point there's been a lot of hype around the quality of that car it certainly looked quick this weekend and i guess the balance of a couple of more different circuits will tell how similar uh, it is to the performance level of last year's Mercedes if we can take a little bit of an extra step. But then there's always the difference between execution because, you know, Racing Point or Force India, as it was previously known, is, as for the last, well, almost its entire history, really just been a midfield team making decisions in the midfield. If it has to, you know, start making decisions at the head of the midfield and potentially decisions for the podium, does it have that level of race sharpness to have been sufficiently reflexive, for example, in this? Um, situation to compete at that level or is this just you know one mistake that they'll surely learn from and and they'll reflect on i think as a team that they've always been pretty sharp when it comes to squeezing a result you know you, you look at um them in general and perez in particular in this stint with with that team when whenever a top 10 position has been available to them in, in even when they had uh, didn't have a pot to piss in as it were <laughs> money wise uh, and, and had um you know a, a car that was nowhere they they always came away with the, the maximum points that they could possibly get so does does do they need to become more sharp as they get towards the front of the grid well maybe maybe there's a case to argue that you know you, you can be that team that's very good at, at, at maximizing what's available to you when you're just outside the top 10 and you you have to get those results the eighth ninth tenths when they become available to you is is it a different ball game when you you're fighting for podiums maybe and and i suppose the other question we need to ask and which hasn't been answered yet is um you know it's, it's, it's one thing design cloning a car from pictures it's another thing entirely to understand why that car behaves as it does and one thing racing point don't have is is a huge cloud server somewhere full of information about how all the previous mercedes have behaved in the certain circumstances and and mercedes just has that vast library of data available to them when whenever whenever they have to have a setup query or they're, they're considering what design avenues to take they can think all right well well, we we might have thought of that before let's let's rummage through the archives and and they've got a huge archive of data which racing point don't have so i I think even if they've managed to clone the performance of the car as well as the look of it I'm, i'm sure that they they don't have enough knowledge to 
and maximize it to the same extent as Mercedes. Not even a photocopy, for example, at a photocopy shop in regional England. <laughs> I wouldn't even have that to rely on. A terrible shame. Yeah, they have the old call quick routine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, Leclerc ended up because Sergio Perez couldn't capitalize on his position, what would have become second had he prob- probably would have become second anyway, had he made that second pit stop. The way was clear for Charles Leclerc, who was part of that lap 51 club, who finally came alive in uh, that Ferrari car on the medium tyre. We'll talk about him in just a moment, though. I'll want to wrap up with Ferrari, but first I want to mention Lando Norris and McLaren. I think his was a a good example of how the team can execute a strategy well, but then it does really require the driver to to finish it off. And and Norris said himself after the race, there were some moments at the the start of that last stint and the end of the second one where he felt like he was losing his grip a little bit on on the race outcome. He'd been passed by Perez. It suddenly seemed like science was challenging him as well. But those last really five to ten laps he made that race ended up setting the fastest lap of the race on the final lap i mean that synergy between him and the team is only growing now in his second year uh and it shows how big a difference a driver can make i think to executing a strategy perfectly in this case to within only two tenths of a second to steal third place yeah and i i actually think he outperformed that car in qualifying so if we if we wind it back let, let, let let's not just put the microscope on the the final laps of the race let's let's go even before the race began to practice and in terms of race pace the mclaren on friday on the long runs was slower than the racing point and slower than renault so to to put that car on the grid where he did and also carlos Sainz delivering the goods as well uh, in qualifying was was pretty remarkable and and the impression the impression that Lando in particular had had outperformed the car in qualifying started to um, firm up in my head once DRS became available uh, from lap three onwards, and he started to drift backwards. We saw we saw people DRSing past him. He lost positions to to Lewis, of course, and and he found himself where are we? He he, yeah, he ended up in in fifth place by sort of the end of that. Um, midway through that first stint he then did uh get past Perez of course before they uh made their first pit stops but then Perez got back past him so I've, I've, I've marked down on my lap chart here um it was towards the end where Leclerc got past Norris so Norris was uh where were we yeah lap 60 lap 63 um and into 64 Norris goes from one two three four goes from fourth to fifth so he, he drops to fifth there uh, and and then with uh, one two three with with four laps to go he makes that crucial pass uh, on Perez where we saw that he just gave him a little bit of a love tap mm-hmm. on 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 the wheels and he was obviously told you know you you need to make this work if you can find this time then that the, we've we've got a podium because Hamilton has a, a five second penalty and what do you know he goes and sets the fastest lap of the race on on the final lap and. Uh, Bagged a point for that as well, in in a car that on race pace was was slower than a number of its rivals. So, all in all, uh, as, as you say, brilliantly executed strategy. They they sort of served it up to him. They threw the ball in the air and he whacked it into the back of the net. So, great job by him. Good job by Carlos Sainz as well. I think a sli- slightly quieter race in terms of you know as. as focusing on what he was up to but but also pretty impressive so i I think mclaren have got a lot to be 
pleased about after that. Whether they can do it again next weekend, who knows? I think maybe with fewer safety car instances, we might just see a, a slightly different picture emerging in that midfield. It's the lap 52 club wasn't as cool as the lap 51 club for signs, as far as signs was concerned, unfortunately. It did put him out of the limelight a little bit. Uh, Norris followed Leclerc through uh, Perez. Leclerc ultimately finished second. Uh, really incredible result for him considering where Ferrari started. Where Ferrari was all weekend, really, even including during the race. It was that medium uh, stint, the last stint of the race for him, which he uh, switched into on lap 51, that kind of brought that car to a level of performance that it didn't really find up until that point. And even then, it was still not where you would expect Ferrari to be, given they've been championship contenders, at least nominally, for the last couple of seasons. Ferrari, MK, they know that they've got aerodynamic problems. There's an upgrade coming somewhere down the line. But it's inescapable that the last couple of seasons has been a backward slide. Maybe since the middle of 2018, really, has been a backward slide for this team. There's stuff going on on the inside, obviously, considering that Sebastian Vettel, turns out, was never offered a contract and, and all these kind of things. Ferrari is a team that typically gets distracted by all these external forces. They can't perform at their best when there's other things going on. I mean, what... What can we expect from, from from Ferrari after this weekend, given that the result kind of spared them their blushes a little bit, but surely they won't get so lucky next weekend? Yeah, Leclerc really showed his quality there and outperformed the car, we, we have to say. Obviously, the, the, the second set of safety cars really, really did enable them to make a strategic gamble. But by that point, they had absolutely nothing to lose. And, and Leclerc really stepped up and, and made, just conjured a result out, out of, out of nowhere. Obviously the, they, they, they took a gamble, but it, as with, as with Norris and the other members of the lap 51 club, uh, it was up to the driver to make it work. And, and he really did. The, the Ferrari all at sea at the moment based on not just pre-season testing form also the the noise that was coming out of them Mattia Binotto ahead of the Australian Grand Prix that didn't happen was already trying to manage expectations both within and without uh, Ferrari he'd sent a memo to staff saying we can't expect to be brilliant at Melbourne he was already downplaying expectations before Austria to the extent that Toto Wolff uh, when asked about this in his Thursday Friday Saturday press conference said you know I've, I've given up mm-hmm. Uh, paying attention to what Matthias says uh, about their form, I just don't listen anymore. Um, but but it's it's true, and the for for, for me there there are a few bits that came together to give me this impression that that Ferrari is in major trouble. So you have uh, on the one hand Binotto himself admitting that in qualifying where they were pr- the best part of a second slower than they were last year, um, he said that point seven. Uh, seconds of that lap time differential was engine performance Mm -hmm. he obviously wouldn't be drawn on the whole business of what happened with the FIA at the beginning of this year but admitting you've taken a step back in engine performance is is interesting in itself and he put the other three tenths down to aero performance uh, and he said it would be difficult to cure those problems um, because engine homologation they're, they're very limited with what they can change on the engine now for the rest of the year uh, and a lot of that three tenths in aero performance is drag and and it's it's just a draggier car uh, it's 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 a choice they've made in an attempt to find downforce which was lacking on on last year's car so all those little elements of time are, are, are difficult to get rid of and on a separate but 
related notes, you have Gunter Steiner on Saturday night after qualifying, digesting a, another difficult result for Haas, a, a Ferrari customer team, uh, and, and he's saying they, they've had to take downforce off the car to find straight line performance. Mm. And, and you think in Austria, a, a circuit where straight line performance is not the be-all and end-all, surely, uh, that's, that's a major problem. So we, we we might even see that differential growing as as we visit other circuits where where straight line speed is more of a thing. So, all in all, very very worrying for Ferrari. And we've seen in the past that the pressure mounts in these circumstances. The Italian media gets on them. We start seeing hirings and firings, and it it all just gets a little bit nasty because. You know, but, when as as the as the screenwriter of the film flash gordon observed uh, when taking over from the director uh, the previous director and writer who had been fired um uh, whenever whenever a project is deemed to be failing a human sacrifice is often required well we'll wait and see uh, what well what a human sacrifice that might be especially considering as you say if this is only going to be exacerbated at circuits that require uh, more power i mean that's screams Italian Grand Prix to me at Monza and there's one place they don't want to underperform I suppose it's there that was the way the podium shaped up Bottas, Leclerc and Norris different routes uh, to get there all ended up being successful as a final note though we've got this unique opportunity in Formula 1 to consider how this race might affect the next one I was kind of skeptical uh, last week or even just before this race that you know if this race ran as you would expect in a very standard way there'd be little reason to think the second would be very different as it turns out we got a a race that probably nobody predicted if they did they were probably very wealthy at this point and would no longer be listening uh how do you see this race influencing the second one presumably if we can discount reliability problems which teams will of course be working to cure between now and then can we expect a different approach the second time around or will it be treated a little bit just as a do-over and hope that results are, are, are what they should have been before the, the craziness of this inter, of this race intervened? I think we might see a return to normality. I mean, m- much as it would be great to have, you know, what we might call a, a, a Teletubby Grand Prix again, <laughs> again, and more, more madness. Um, we, I, I, I think, some of, some of that operational rustiness will have been shaken off. Uh, a, a lot of the teams who who had reliability glitches may just have got to the bottom of them. Dan, Daniel Ricciardo said um, after in, in his post race virtual press conference that they they already knew they already had a good idea what caused their problem and they were confident of having fixed it. Toto Wolf said that it is uh, almost without doubt they will have sorted the the gearbox sensor issues um, with 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 their cars. So. I, th- I think we can see some of the operational glitches going, but nevertheless, the the other teams who have Mercedes powertrains will they have cured those for them as well? You know, we we saw you know, one of the power tra- one of the safety cars rather initiated by a, a a failed Mercedes powertrain in the back of the Williams of, of George Russell. So it's it's more than just two cars that need to be fixed. So there are a lot of variables whether they 
with all, all the various parties of the first part are, are able to make them less variable is is open to question but the, the fact is that they're not going anywhere dan ricardo said he he might go for a hike in the country somewhere in the next couple of days i, I think that a lot of the engineers are going to have have their heads down making sure that the, these problems go away and, and i suppose it, it's interesting isn't it that we, we we've been having all these problems with with curb related issues when they actually took away some mm. of the curbs that have caused problems in austria in the past the sausage curbs uh, at, at turn one in particular uh, were were removed or not installed rather uh, because the team said look we, we, we're going to have damage and we uh, possibly not going to have enough spares with a triple header so so we need to have those curbs removed those those curbs were there to to stop drivers uh exploiting track limits shall we say but whenever you take away a thing like that then track limits become a thing you know they they drift beyond into that hinterland of that asphalt runoff we saw it at, at turn one and and whenever you sort of um, explore those limits you are putting additional stress on the car with with, with those curbs that that are there so those curbs aren't going to go away and and they're crucial to lap time so the the, the pitfalls are still uh, waiting to trap the unwary so we may just have more unexpectedness um, to come uh, maybe we won't see normality until the hungarian grand prix maybe this is the new normal they keep talking about i actually thought i was never going to say that phrase and i feel like i've broken that rule did. immediately i know it's a shame actually i'm ashamed of myself uh, pour a bucket of ice over your head yeah, exactly right gargle on soap <laughs> well i've got plenty of time to do it between now and uh, this weekend's race should be interesting uh, and formula one it's finally away and it is good to have it back it was a pleasure to talk to you about it Stuart. uh it was lovely thank you for having me back i thought you never would after last time but uh, <laughs> I, I i hope to be uh, accepted back into the inner circle again sometime this season that was Stuart Codling, executive editor of GP Racing magazine. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favorite podcast app. Plus, we're on all of your social channels. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast, and if you're looking for a different take on the Austrian Grand Prix, have a search for Box of Neutrals in your podcast app of choice to hear us discuss whether Sebastian Vettel deserves more respect from Ferrari. My name's Michael Laminato. You can look me up on Twitter at Michael Laminato. And let's catch up again next week for a review of the Styrian Grand Prix.